shepherds of it. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. While you're, while you're turning, uh, let me just say um, what a privilege it is to be able to worship together, to be in community together. This morning we have already had the opportunity to worship together in communion together as, as a body of believers, but also to worship in communion with God. I hope you understand that when we are worshiping, it is not just about those around us, but we are worshiping our Heavenly Father. And I hope that you understand that when we are gathered together, it is communion as one, but it is communion with our Heavenly Father. Our worship and our, our labor together is a part of us being one together in Christ. I'm glad as we, over these weeks, look at the truth of a gospel-centered communion, a communion that flows out of what the gospel has done for us, what the gospel is doing in us, that we can see all the different aspects of that communion, communion of that community. Um, I think about the, the community that we have within our families, the brothers and sisters of this earth, that we have that fellowship together. God has established the family as the central unit of society. God established the family in the Garden of Eden. And so our families are a level of community that are to be affected by our, the work of the gospel that God is doing in our lives. And we'll look at some things about that, but I hope you remember that in Ephesians chapter 5, immediately after he says, be filled with the Spirit, he begins to talk about family relationships. Because we cannot be in communion with the Father, we cannot be in communion with God, and it not begin to affect those immediately around us. And we'll look at some things as we go through the weeks ahead to, to remind us of that. Our community within the, our neighborhood those around us that certainly should affect us. And if we are in a right relationship with God, all of my relationships, all of my horizontal relationships are governed and guided and determined by the depth of my vertical relationship with God, our relationships within the church. And many of the things that we do as a church, we'll see in just a moment, are guided by the idea of community. We, that's a, a desire that we have to build and strengthen the community of the body of believers. Many people who do not have strong communion with their neighbors or with their family, the church becomes the place where that community can take place, where that communion can take place. We'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. And uh, very, don't, you don't want to miss next week. We're going to be sharing some things specifically in relation to community within our church. And we want to share a ministry that um, Brother Dean Gaster is going to be leading to target and to minister to those in our church who are um, 60 and older. Uh, we've tried to think of every possible term. There's all kinds of terms. Uh, one church named their ministry Not Dead Yet. Uh, we're not going <laughs> to... I don't even know who, I don't know who, where that idea came up. We, you know, Baptist boomers didn't seem to go over very well either. But what's more important is, is that this is a part of our congregation, a, a part of our family that's important. And to minister to them, there's been some great things that have gone on and are continuing to go on and give them the opportunity to have activities. And, but we also believe that it's, it's never, it's never uh, a time when we can look at our life and say, I can't do anything to serve God. 
to have an opportunity and a purpose to serve and to be a part of our congregation. So you'll hear more about that next week. And then following the service, here's a very Baptist thing to do. For those that are 60 and older, we're going to have a, a potluck dinner over in the fellowship hall. And we want you to come. Bring your lucks of, your pots full of luck. I don't know what... <laughs> Whatever the potluck is, bring it, and we'll have a time to share more about that with you if you're 60 and older, and we want, to, want you to be a part of that, and that'll be in the fellowship hall after the service next Sunday. We're going to have a great time, but we want you to, we, we want that, that's a part of the, the fellowship of the body, the communion of the body. Every part of our church body matters. Every member matters, and so that community that takes place within the body of Christ, we'll be sharing some things in the weeks to come, too, about our vision for next year and the things that we'll be engaged in, to look back and see the things that have happened this year and the things that, we've, that God has done and the way that He's blessed. And you'll see how it flows through this prism or through this, this view of community. And it all starts with what we're going to talk about this morning, our communion with Christ, our communion with God, because all of our other relationships flow through that. I want you to see these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read from verse 18 down through verse 21. As I always do, when you're reading through Scripture, let me encourage you to watch for words that are repeated. And you'll see this this morning to see the, the key word that Paul is focusing on here and is part of our focus this morning. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, or in Christ's place, be ye reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you see the word there, the key word? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, the word reconciliation can be used in a lot of different ways and different fields. For example, if we were in the uh, legislative field, we would be talking about maybe reconciling two bills where one bill passes the House and one the Senate, and we try to get together and we reconcile it to get one that everybody's going to agree on, which we know happens pretty frequently in Congress. But that's the reconciliation. I'm joking. Some of y'all took that a little too seriously. In the financial world, there might be a reconciling of accounts that would take place. In relationships, many times there are, there's reconciliation that has to take place when there's conflict between two people. And that gets closer to what Paul is talking about here. In the biblical understanding of, of reconciliation, there's really four things that are necessary. There has to be a previous relationship. There has to be that relationship that was held. But then the second thing is, is that there is the, the, the dissolving of that relationship or the destruction of that relationship. Something happens that causes that relationship to break. Something is said or something is done. Then there is a third thing to biblical reconciliation, and that is there is a purposeful act to take away that which hindered the relationship. Whatever it was that happened in the second thing the, that broke the relationship, there is something that is purposefully done to take that away in order to reach the fourth step, which is a restored relationship that is to the original purpose and intent that the original relationship had. And that is really the gospel. 
The gospel is, is that we were created to be in relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked with God, with God in the garden in the cool of the day. But their sin and action broke that relationship. Because of that, that relationship is no more. That, that closeness, that communion that they once had is no more. But God has taken a purposeful action. It is action on His part. And you see it in this passage that it is God who is reconciling to Himself, not those who are apart reconciling themselves to God. We don't reconcile ourselves to God. We don't restore ourselves to God. God reconciles us to Him. And that action that He took was sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross to restore us to a life of communion and fellowship with God. And that's the process of reconciliation that has brought us into the most important community that we will ever be a part of. And that is communion with Christ, communion in Christ with God that he describes in this, in this text. That is, our, that is our communion. It is a part of our fellowship with God. When we have fellowship with God, do you realize that when we come into the presence of God, the church gathers? We are gathering in the presence of God. Don't you love, I love what the, the old the old way of saying it was when God shows up. Now, we know that God is everywhere. The, the absolute presence of God is, is that God is everywhere. Where can I go from your presence, the Bible says. But I love the manifest presence of God. When the presence of God is manifested in such a way that we become intensely and increasingly aware that God is in the room, that God is there. God begins to work on so many people in one place at one time that an entire body of Christ can experience the presence of God. Sometimes that happens in a light way as maybe we're worshiping and people begin to get blessed and enough of the body begins to get blessed. Other times it happens maybe in a revival service, it happens in a worship service, but that is a part, that communion with God is a part of our fellowship. It's a part of our worship It's a part of coming into the presence of God, whether it's coming together corporately as a body of Christ or as individuals, as children of God, as people of God. We come into His presence. And let me tell you that when you are worshiping, it is not just being in a room where there's excitement and being in a room where there's emotion taking place. And it's not just getting the tingles when you're reading the Scripture or when you're praying or when you're riding down the road. I love to see every once in a while, I mean, I, I see people pass me on the road, and sometimes you can hear what they're listening to. You can, you can sometimes feel what they're listening to. Can I get a witness on that? We know. But every once in a while, I'll see somebody, and boy, they... I, I believe they're worshiping God. At least that they have, they'll have both hands. They'll be at the stoplight now. They have both hands up in the air. They'll have one hand up in the air, and they're just they're singing for all they're worth. And sometimes you may do that, and you you experience that moment. You are in the that's in the presence of God. That is communing with God. Our fellowship and our worship, our relationship with Him. We were created for it. We were redeemed for it. That is what you were saved for. God created us and designed us to be in relationship with Him, a relationship, a fellowship, a communion that was broken by the fall of sin, but God went to great extents. He sent His sinless Son, as this passage says, He who knew no sin, He sent and He became sin on the cross so that that which hindered and broke our relationship could be taken away, and our sins, as Paul says here, are not imputed to us so that we could be restored to communion. That's how much God values being with us. That's how much God values communion and fellowship with us. 
And that is what he has done for us. Because of that, we will experience eternal communion. I love as the choir was singing Revelation 19 just a few moments ago. And I thought about, boy, that's exactly the communion, the worship that is going to take place in eternity to sing hallelujah to God. If that song doesn't bless you, um, well, that's, boy, that's an inspired song. And I don't just mean it's a great, got a great lyrics to it. It's literally an inspired song from the inspired scripture. And it moves me to think that what we do here, sitting and listening to that choir and being blessed by the choir, is just a foretaste of the great glory of communion that we will experience in a perfect, uninterrupted, magnificent way through eternity in the presence of God. And that's what we have to look forward to. That's the blessing of communion. That's the blessing that we have because of what God has done through Christ to reconcile me to God. And that's what Paul, that's why, I don't know about you, but I can sort of read Paul's excitement in these verses. And it blesses me to hear the voice of God speaking through Paul to say, you have been reconciled to God and you can be reconciled to God. What is the importance of this? What is the value? What does it mean? Okay, preacher, that's great. We've been, we've been reconciled. But what, is, what does that mean? Well, the importance of this communion with God, this community with God, to us as a church is that it is the center of all that we do. It is the center of everything that we do as a church. Now, some people will say, oh, well, that's a, that's a community-based church, and what they mean by that is, or that's a fellowship-based church. There are some churches that everything focuses around the members of the church getting together and having a good time. That's not the communion, that's not the fellowship I'm talking about, the sense of community. I love the fact that we can get together, and we can, we can enjoy worshiping together, and we can enjoy that blessed communion, and we can enjoy the blessedness of working together. Uh, we had a great time yesterday working on our prayer trail Nearly, uh, probably two dozen guys came out, and you know we, we sent out the announcement that we if you, if if you have a chainsaw and weed eater, come do some work and um, bring it and come help us work. You know, considering where we are, we should never have said if. There's no if about anybody having a chainsaw. Um, there were people getting out of there with, well, I got this this weed eater for this section and this weed eater. You know, they looked like the Terminator of yard tools when they got out. They had so many. And boy, we have, but we had a great time. I loved seeing people as they work together, having conversations, and people saying, "Hey, now, what, what was your name?" And they're getting to know each other, they're meeting each other. Why? Because there's a communion that takes place when we work together. What is it that draws us together? Is it just the work? No, it's the one that we are serving for. It's not just the gathering together in the same building that draws us together. It's the one that we're worshiping. It's the Lord that we are worshiping, that we have been brought together in one body to be one in Christ, and we are in Him. And so we come together to worship and to work, and everything that we do is centered in that. The things that we have done this year and the things that we look forward to doing next year are centered around a person's relationship, a person's communion with God. When we have the kids playing soccer, when we work on the trail, that's, that's not just a, a trail for people to walk on. It is for, for people to come and pray and spend time with God so that your relationship with God is stronger and deeper. It's so people will hear the gospel. When we do the work of missions, when we send money to missionaries to carry the gospel, it is so those who are there will hear the gospel and will enter into a relationship with God. When we do mission trips and we do mission partnerships with the churches in Africa, with Mike Knapper and with 
uh, Michael Johnson in Montana and those that we have planned for the year to come with other partnerships with different places and different missions work and helping establish churches and digging wells and doing all the things that we'll be involved in doing. It's not just so we can be busy. It's not just so we can be active. It is so that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be shared so that those who are apart from God, those who have been broken and are under the fall can be restored and reconciled to God. That's the purpose of everything that we do. It's why we have Sunday school. We want you to grow in your relationship with God. It's why we have small groups. And so as we study and we grow together, our relationship with God will deepen. Everything that the church does is centered in this one truth. We can sum it up this way. Let me just give you this. Our task as a church is to get people closer to God. It does not matter where they are. It is to get them closer to God. If a person is away far away from God and is an unbeliever, what is our goal? What is our task? We want them to hear the gospel, and we want them to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We want them in that community. We want them reconciled to God. And if a person is a new Christian, they've not been saved very long, and they're just a baby Christian, what is our task? What is our goal? We want them to grow in Christ. So what? So they will get closer to God and their relationship with God will deepen. And if a person has been saved for a very long time and they've, they're a mature adult Christian, they're the same purpose, the same goal. It's, they've not reached the point where they can quit saying, well, I don't, I don't need my relationship with God. I don't need to be in communion with God. We need to take that to the next step for them to grow and continue to grow into Christ-likeness and, and be in relationship with God. So it doesn't matter where you are along the spectrum of your spiritual life. The goal is to be closer to God. And that is our task. That is why this matters. But then quickly, this is what I want to focus on this morning. What is the importance to me as an individual, to you as an individual? community with God, I want you to see several things this morning, and I want to ask you three questions. I want you to think carefully about these questions that come from this text, because they relate to this truth of reconciliation. The first question that I will ask you this morning, and I ask you to look within your heart, I'm not trying to call someone to doubt their salvation, I'm asking you to do what Paul says and what, what the Bible says examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. I'm not trying to make you think, well, maybe I'm not. I'm trying to help you look at yourself and say, on what basis am I basing my salvation? Has there been a time when I was reconciled to God? So the first question that I would ask you is, have you experienced the miracle of reconciliation? Have you experienced the miracle of reconciliation? Some people think that they are right with God because they went through the baptismal waters. And we certainly believe in baptism. We believe in believers' immersion. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we certainly believe in that. But let me tell you, you can be baptized so many times that the tadpoles know your Social Security number, and that's not going to get you into heaven. I remember meeting a lady one time that had been to nearly every church in the county. She was trying to get to them all to be baptized and become a member of that church because she wanted to have her membership in every church in the county. Let me tell you, some counties in the south, she could spend a lifetime working on and probably not get them all. But that was what her... Look, being baptized isn't it. I'm talking about being reconciled to God. Have you... Has there been a time when you trusted Christ as your Savior? You see, every one of us is born separated from God. We were created for that relationship, but because of sin, we are separated. We are, in, we are unreconciled to God. 
We are born, every one of us, with a sin nature. Every person that has ever been born apart from Jesus Christ is born with a sin nature because we come from Adam. We can thank Adam for that. We are born with a sin nature. We have sinful tendencies. We sometimes suffer the sinful consequences of sin because of things that happened before we were born. Maybe our parents or our grandparents, and certainly because of Adam, one day all will die, but we stand before God with a sin nature. But we are guilty before God because just as soon as we're capable, we start sinning. Why? Because we have a sin nature. And once we have committed sin, we then stand guilty before God. Every person apart from Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, apart from Jesus, every person has sinned. And you didn't have to be taught how to do it. You came into this world knowing perfectly well how to sin. A baby learns very quickly how to lie. A baby cries, there's nothing wrong with it, but they learn, they cry, and mom and dad come running and start pampering it and loving on it, and that child understands, all I have to do now is cry and say something is wrong, and I'll get loved on. And so they love to get loved on. They love a little attention, so what do they do? They learn how to lie, and they start crying, and they, well, that works pretty good. We learn how to steal. We don't have to be taught. Nobody sits us down and says, now here's how to steal. Every one of us probably at some point in our life were sitting there looking at a brother or a sister or a friend or a cousin, and they had something we wanted. We were probably about maybe one or two or three at the time, and they had something we wanted, and so what did we do? Very likely, we went over and we took from them what they had because that's what we wanted. Nobody had to sit down and say, now, I want to teach you how to steal. We had a sin nature. We know how to, we know how to get angry. We know how to say things that hurt. And as we get older, our sin nature gets worse and worse. And then it is our sin, both our sin nature and our guilt before God, that separates us from God. That relationship is broken. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to this earth and died on the cross so that we could be restored to God. And that relationship could be restored. And He suffered everything that He suffered on that cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could be restored to God. That's how much God loves you. So when I ask you the question, have you experienced the miracle of reconciliation? I'm asking, have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Because it is that trust in Him that then restores you to that place that God originally intended us to be in relationship and fellowship with Him. Look how Paul describes it here quickly in verse 18. All things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. You see, there had to be that action that purposefully took away whatever it was that caused the break. What caused the break? Sin. Look in verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world of Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Boy, aren't you glad that God doesn't impute our sins to us. Our record is clear. Why? Because that which broke our fellowship with God, He has not imputed to us, and He's taken it away. He took our sins upon Himself. And that's how we can be restored to God. But not only are our sins taken away, but look in verse 21. He has made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, the perfect Son of God. Jesus became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Because of my reconciliation to God, what made that possible? It, it was made possible because God did not impute my sins to me, but it's not just that my record is clear. He then takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes it to my record. 
so that I can be in relationship with God. What a blessed truth that we are in communion with God because of what Christ has done. That's a miracle of salvation. That's the miracle of redemption. And if you have never experienced that this morning, let me tell you, it is the most wonderful, amazing thing that will happen in your life the day that you are reconciled to God. I have had the opportunity over the years to see occasionally people and friends or family members who were at odds with each other, who were broken from each other, and to see them reconciled and brought back together, and to see the joy, to see the joy on their face. Can you imagine the joy on the face of God, the heart of God, when his child that was divided from him is reconciled and restored? It's the, it's the joy of the father and the prodigal son, when the son who was separated is brought back. So have you experienced the miracle of reconciliation. If you have experienced the miracle of reconciliation, let me ask you a second question that comes from this text, and that is, are you enjoying the mercies of reconciliation? Are you enjoying the mercies, the blessings of being reconciled to God? Paul goes through this chapter, and he lists a number of things, each section through here. We won't take the time to do a deep dive and read all the way through, but let me point out to you quickly four verses from chapter 5 that Paul tells us Our life is affected because we have been reconciled to God. First of all, see what I have to look forward to in verse 1. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. That's not talking about my heavenly mansion. That's talking about a glorified body that's awaiting so that when this body passes away, this earthly tabernacle fades away, I have something to look forward to. This life is not the end. I heard someone say recently that... When someone passed, that the, only, that the only way we exist beyond death is in the memories of those that we loved. Well, that's a, that's a terrible thought. If the only way I'm going to exist beyond death is in the memories of those that love, that's going to last maybe a generation. And then everybody that knew me is going to be gone. Nobody's going to... And I'll be honest with you, some of the people that I know that love me, their memories are not so good, so... I'm not real encouraged by that truth, but I'm glad that as a child of God, I have something beyond. Paul says, we know that if our earthly house, this tabernacle, this body were dissolved, and one day it will be, every one of us, this body will be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Boy, there's so much truth packed in there, but I want you to know that because I am in a communion relationship with God, I have a future to look forward to. Death is not the end for the child of God. And those of you that have experienced just in this past week, there have been those who have lost family members that were believers. Let me tell you that the minute for them to expel the last breath of this earthly air and with the next breath breathe in the fresh breath of heaven, the fresh air of heaven, and to leave our presence and to be in the presence of God is what happens because they have been in communion with God. We have something to look forward to, but not just what I look forward to. Look in verse 9. Why I labor is affected by my relationship, my communion. Wherefore, he says, because of this, because we're going to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Let me pause just a minute on that phrase from verse 8, to be present with the Lord. Do you see what he's emphasizing? He's emphasizing that the glory of that future is not about the, the, the mansions and it's not about the street of gold. It's about being present with the Lord. I'm going to get to be with the God that I'm in communion with now. 
I'm going to be in perfect communion with him there. Therefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted by him. My relationship with God, my communion with God is what drives what I labor for and what I work for on this earth. So much we could unpack there, but let's look at the third one. It tells me about who I love. My communion with God is about who I love. Verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. Verse 16, from henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Now let me just clear that up a little bit doesn't mean that we're not going to know Christ anymore. It means that the way we have known him, before we were saved even, we knew Christ according to the flesh. There are many who know him according to the flesh. But he says, now we know him. We don't know him according to the flesh. And from now on, we'll never think of him in a fleshly way. It's not just about knowing about Christ and knowing about God. It is knowing him. It's what Job says at the end of the book of Job. He says, I have heard about you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. It is one thing to know about Christ. It is another thing to have that relationship, that communion with him in which we get to know him. The blessedness of communion. And then how I live is affected. Verse 17, quickly, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Aren't you glad that old things are passed away? Aren't you glad that he's, he makes us new? God says in the book of Revelation when we get to the end, Behold, I make all things new. That's the blessing, the mercies. Have you, are you experiencing, are you enjoying the Christian life? Are you enjoying the blessings of reconciliation? God went to great extent, and we would say, Yes, I have experienced the miracle of reconciliation, but are you enjoying what that miracle provided? Can you imagine the blind man that Jesus healed, gave his eyesight back to, and he walks around with a blindfold on all the time? God has done a great miracle in his life, but he's not, he's not living it. He's not enjoying it. We have experienced a great miracle. Paul says, look, here's, here's the blessings of it. Let me give you one last question from this text. This is a challenge to all of us. Are we engaged in the ministry of reconciliation? You see, what God has done for us is what every person needs to hear. It's what every person needs to hear. It's what the missionaries are sharing and that we engage with and support and encourage. It's what the person right across the street from us needs to hear. It may be the person who is in our home that needs to hear it. But here's the message and here's the ministry of reconciliation. Look in verse 18, the last part of the verse. God has reconciled us and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we know that the the reconciliation is the gospel. It's the process of the gospel. And he's given to us the ministry of it. What does that look like? What does that mean? Look down to verse 20, and he explains it. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? It's someone who goes somewhere else to represent a person or a, a, a state or an entity. If another nation sends an ambassador to our country, the leader can't come themselves and stay here, so they send someone else to speak on their behalf and to deliver messages and to be their representative. So Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ's sake. Christ, though he is here in spirit, is not here physically, so we are here in his place. We are here to deliver a message on his behalf. What is this message? That God is extending the means and miracle of reconciliation. That's the message we have. That's the message of the gospel. And this is what he says. Look at this. 
as though God did beseech you by us. He is speaking through us. I am speaking on God's behalf when I say to you, God wants you to be reconciled to him, and he went to great lengths to do it. And then notice this. He says, we pray you, we ask you, we beseech you in Christ's stead. If you underline your Bibles, underline those three words, in Christ's stead. That is saying, if Jesus Christ were standing here today, this is what he would say to you. And it is not being presumptuous to speak for Christ because I am speaking the message that he spoke. I am speaking what Paul said, in Christ's stead, in the place of Christ. I can say to the person that I'm sitting across a cup of coffee having a gospel conversation with, let me tell you what Jesus would say to you if he was sitting right here. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Not come join the church. Not be a better neighbor. Not be a better mom or dad or child or a husband or wife. Be reconciled to God. That's the message that we have. That's the message we proclaim. That's the task that we have been given is to speak the truth of reconciliation to those around us. He said, we, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. So, have you experienced the miracle of reconciliation? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Are you enjoying the mercies of reconciliation? Christian, let me just ask you to do something. Look in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit show you. Am I enjoying the blessed, full life that Jesus saved me for? Or am I just miserably, barely making it by? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Most of us would settle for life, but Jesus says abundantly to have it more abundantly. To know God and to be loved by Him is the end of our soul's quest for eternal satisfaction. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need. Our God is infinite, and that answers our longing for completeness. He is eternal, and that answers our longing for permanence. He is unchangeable, and He answers our desire and our need for stability and security. The more that you know Him, listen to me carefully, the more that you know Him, the more you will want to know Him. The more that you know Him, the more that you will want to know Him. The more that you feast on the riches of His fellowship, the more you will desire deeper communion. We have communion with God. Father, thank you that in our relationship, our fellowship, our hardships, our worship, we are in communion with you. Father, I pray for each one here. If there's anyone here this morning that has never trusted you as their Savior, may this be the time when they step out from where they are or right where they are, they simply say to you, Father, I realize that I am a sinner and I am separated from you, but I trust Jesus Christ as the means to bring me back into communion with you. And I'm trusting him as my Savior. 
And Father, whether they come to the altar and have someone speak with them or whether they pray right there or whether they talk with someone afterward, may this be the day when that relationship is restored. But Father, there may be someone here this morning that's going through a valley and they need to be reminded that that communion and that fellowship is right where they are. You are with them. You will carry them through this. And Father, there may be someone that's going through a a trial in their life, and there may be someone who is challenged, and they feel alone. May they know your presence. Father, maybe there's some here this morning that just need to come and kneel in your presence and worship you and commune with you to know that you are there with them in this moment. Whatever it may be, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak and draw.